Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Quick note before we begin, the Finding Genius Foundation, as part of the Finding Genius Podcast, has recently completed a book about understanding viruses. So the creation of this book was to interview 100 virologists, ask them a lot of deep, difficult questions, take the most difficult questions, and then re-interview the top 25 or so and ask them the hardest questions I could think of. And we compiled that all into a book. So you'll see question and four or five experts' answers. Question, four or five experts' answers. There's about 30 questions in the book. I think it's a great read for the layperson and for the researcher. talks about a lot of speculation in the world of viruses, such as are they alive or not, and why is it important? Uh, Why do viruses go latent or hidden or ineffective or sit in a person or an animal or another creature for weeks, months, years? and then suddenly become virulent and affect that person. Uh, so there's a lot of really provocative questions in the book. It's now on Amazon. So if you go to Amazon and type in Finding Genius, you'll see the book on viruses. It's also on Kindle. The Audible version is in production and should be ready in approximately a month. But if you want to go and order it now, uh, you can do so again by going to Amazon or Kindle or go, go to findinggeniusfoundation.org and go to Publications. There's an opportunity as well to get the transcripts of all the interviews and to hear the original interviews themselves. If we had put them all together, the book would be about a thousand pages, but we condensed them down to make it juicy and concise and tight and very interesting. So I hope you'll check out the book. Uh, we're now working on one about cancer, but this is going to be our goal is uh, three times a year to come out with these masterclass books that I think will inspire new scientific research. And I hope you'll check it out. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have Li Zhang, professor in the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathobiology, and Zhong Bokli, scientific associate at University Health Network. And all this happens at University of Toronto in, in Canada. And we're going to talk about uh, T-cell therapy for leukemia and lung cancer. So both of you, thank you for coming. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Very good. Well, I, I guess if we can start with, with you, Li, um, would you tell me about your research? And then, Zhang, I want to ask you about yours and, you know, what you're working on. So, yeah, brief background, Lee, please. Sure. Yeah, so our research is uh, focusing on developing new treatment for cancer. I I mean, okay. that's our current research. So we uh, okay. focus on developing new immunotherapy, particularly using a, a subset of T-cells, T-lymphocytes, which is a uh, a kind of white blood cells. The cells we call double negative T cells, and it's a very small subset of T cells in our body. And uh, we developed the method and propagate the cells in the laboratory. And we did the extensive work demonstrating this subset of T cells has a potent anti-cancer ability. And John, so what, what is your part in this? Yeah, so... I am working with Lee on the development of this T-cell therapy. Lee already has covered majority of it. So we are, our group focuses on obtaining immune cells, subset called T-cells or double negative T-cells from healthy donors and try to utilize those 
healthy donor T cells to treat cancer patients. And my, my role in this project was to translate this from a laboratory setting, from like in petri dish into a mouse model and now into clinical trials. So my, my, my role was to develop this therapy to be used in patients. Okay. And what does it mean that they're double negative, these cells? What's special about them and why? So double negative T cells was initially identified in our lab because they do not like a conventional T cells which express CD4 or CD8 T cell receptor like a surface marker, uh, but the double negative T cells are negative for CD4 and the CD8, so we call them double negative. It's a mature T cell in our blood. Okay, and what is the function of T cells in general versus these specific ones? So the function of T cells, uh, there are many different functions. They are involved in anti-cancer response. They are involved, uh, on the good side, they are involved in fighting virus infection, for example. And also the bad side, if they are not uh, well controlled, they are involved also in organ graft rejection and also uh, autoimmune disease. So they can be good and bad, depends on how we control the cell. Yeah, and if I can add to that, so our, our body cells are continuously proliferating and even the normal cells can accumulate mutations through these number of cell divisions that goes on through our body during our lifetime. And these cells, because of acquisition of these mutations, can become cancerous. And these cancerous cells are often detected by our immune system, including T cells, and get cleared out from our body. But in these cancer patients, this is when these T cells fail to control these mutated cells from becoming very cancerous and spreading in our body. So these T cells already play a very important role. And what we do is to utilize these cells and you know expand them in a large number that can be infused back into the patient to kind of taking advantage of the strengths of our immune system. And the advantage or the differentiation factor of double negative T cells to other conventional CD4 and CD8 positive T cell is that not only do they have a different surface molecules expressed, but they have a unique feature that they do not cause so-called alloreactivity, where we can inject these T cells obtained from one donor to another recipient without causing, nice. yeah, causing a symptoms called graft-versus-hostities. Oh, interesting. Okay. So uh, you just culture them. You don't have to induce any de-differentiation or induce pluripotency in them, right? You just culture them? So, yes. Yeah, so that's what we do. We, we culture them. We have other lines of project where we start incorporating more of a recent advanced technologies like CRISPR or chimeric antigen receptors, which can change their function in, in patient or in, in our research setting, but we do not necessarily need them. We can actually just culture them in research setting, just expand them to a larger, large enough number to combat cancers, because usually cancer cells are inpatient with millions of numbers. So it's more of a number game that we are playing here. We grow them to a large number and give it to the patient. Okay. And what's the mechanism by which these specific T cells attack cancer cells? They don't engulf them like macrophages, right? What do they do? Yeah, so these these, can, these double negative T cells can recognize uh, so-called stress-induced molecules. So cancer cells, when they develop a lot of mutations, what they do is that they rapidly proliferate. And when they proliferate rapidly, they start to acquire this stress uh, and this 
in turn expresses some of the genes that are normally found on normal cells and double negative T cells can recognize these molecules. Um, what we have identified so far is that double negative T cells can recognize these stress ligands through receptors called uh, NKG2D and DNAM1. And what we know is that they can release a cytotoxic molecules, so-called perforin and granzyme, that punctures a hole in the target cells and induces cell death. So this is how double negative T cells kill cancer cells. How do they produce uh, selective cytotoxins that only affect cancer cells? Like, what's different about these? Uh, are these like little vesicles that the T cells put out that go into the cancer cells and cause them to explode? So they require cell-to-cell contact and they only recognize cancer cells. And this is one of the main line of research that our group is doing. Uh, they only recognize these malignant cells that have high expression of stress ligands. Um, normal cells usually do not express these molecules. And that's, this is how um, double negative T cells can selectively recognize and release these cytotoxic molecules that goes to these recognized cancer cells. But do, they, do the membranes fuse in the two cells or do they use like tunneling nanotubes? How do they do it? Uh, immune synapse formation. They have receptors that recognize the, the receptors on double negative T cells can identify the ligand on the cancer cells and that forms the immune synapse, which allows them to interact with between the two cells. And during this interaction, this is when these um, cytotoxin molecules are released and kills. What is a, an, a, the structure of an immune synapse? Is it like a ion channel? What does it look like? Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from $10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click Support Us today. Now back to the show. It's not an island channel from, from what I know. It is an um, interaction between two molecules. So for example, when antibody binds to an antigen on their cells, it's uh, affinity-driven affinity binding. So it's a very similar concept. The receptors on double negative T cells have affinity against the ligand on cancer cells, and that's how they interact. It's not necessarily formation of ions. Protein interaction. And after this binding, protein binding to protein, and then the signal will be transduced to the cells. Is it just a signal or is it a passage of specific molecules through a channel? I think so far what uh, we still not so clear what's going on, but we can detect the uh, products after as a consequence of uh, binding. How the binding happening, whether signal for sure it will be sent to double negative T cells. And uh, the detail of the molecular mechanisms, I think still need further exploration. Have you been able to watch this happen, you know, under light microscopy? Can you, is there any way to watch it in a dish? We do not uh, um, watch under microscope. We uh, use some, like uh, we detected the molecules secreted after DNT cell interacting with the cancer cells. We detect the cytokines released from DNT cells. So we, we look at the molecules produced 
by the NT cells after interaction okay. with cancer. Is the double negative T cell able to detach after a while and then move on to another cell, or does it? Is it a one-to-one ratio where it dies after it interacts? Uh, no, they will continue to move on to next target, just like uh, conventional T cells or NK cells. They can kill okay. one target and move to next one. Very cool. So what percentage of a person's normal T cell population are these double negatives and how high, the, how high are the levels you have to culture them to where they're effective? So in normal individuals, in purple blood or like white blood cells, they are about 5%. Um, within T cells, they can be 5 to 10% in frequency. So what we do is we isolate these cells from purple blood uh, donors, and then we will culture them about 10 to 20 days. And that gives us about uh, 90% purity in double negative T cells. And in terms of the numbers that we're getting, with one milliliter of blood that we use for culturing, we get about 100, 100 to two, 300 million cells. So you said that about 5% of the, mm-hmm. of the T cells are these kinds, but when you culture yeah. them, is it is yeah. it 10 times that amount? Uh, okay. times? So the, the fold, fold expansion we get is about 1,600 fold expansion. So the, the number that we get is uh, about 16 fold higher than what we start with. There's a certain concentration, but when you re-inject you know, the cultured cells, how much more are there versus what was there before? Is it double the amount, a thousand times the amount? I don't think we have done that calculation specifically. In, in patients, we give about 5 billion to 20 billion cells for patient treatment. And I think we, I don't think we necessarily have done the math, mathematical calculations to see how much more that would be. Ali, do you have a rough idea? Yeah, we don't. But in the mouse model, we do see them uh, expand, right? In patients, we do see after infusion, double negative T cell increased, but uh, we don't have exactly number yet. Well, the reason why I ask is that I would guess you want to do the minimum effective dose, but if you do too much of it, is there anything mm-hmm. bad that can happen? We actually have some results from a clinical trial, and that report suggests that the number of cells that we give to these patients, at least the current range, is not causing much of toxicity in the patients with some promising efficacy data. It is an early phase trial, so it's hard to say conclusively say about the um, efficacy in, in these leukemia patients, but at least what we see that it's safe, it's safe to give. Okay, yeah, I guess that's the first step is that it's safe, and then the next step is that it actually helps them. What, exactly. what kind of metrics are you looking at? Is it, can you, I mean, if it's leukemia, I guess it's, there's no yeah. solid tumors. So how do you know, like, what biomarkers are you using to see if it's successful? If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. Okay. So in the clinical trial, we uh, injected those double negative T cells from healthy donors. And now we monitor a patient tumor load, leukemic load, by uh, using flow cytometry and, uh, and the molecular technology to look at the residual disease. And then we can see whether the patient uh, um, going to remission or partial remission. So we do see patients, you know, majority at the beginning responded to DNT cell therapy. Um, we can, so in, like, unlike solid tumors, we are talking about leukemia and major niche that leukemia takes is the bone marrow. And I think this is one of the reasons why we think that immune, like immune cell therapy is also promising because leukemia cells and immune cells share a very similar niche. So the site that we look at is bone marrow, immune cell, and also we can also look at the 
proof of blood for leukemia, leukemia level. And when we inject these cells by their endogenous nature, they would circulate, circulate in the blood and also go to bone marrow. So yeah, bone marrow is a niche that we look at. Okay. How did you guys first identify these double negative T cells? Like, how did you first figure it out? Yeah, this uh, goes back long, um, like 25 years ago. We were doing mouse study using transgenic mice, and uh, we found we were looking at the CD4, CD8 cells at that time, like everybody else. And then we, uh, we found inject the tumor cells. No, actually, we give allogenic double negative T cells. We found those double negative T cells uh, do not cause graft versus host disease. And uh, at the beginning, we, we look at the CD4, CD8, we found the CD4, CD8 cells. They, after antigen stimulation, they were um, proliferate and then die and then disappear, majority disappear. And then we found that there is a, a population of cells remaining after antigen stimulation. So we found that those cells do not express CD4, CD8. And then that's how we started to study the double negative T cells. And then we generated the double negative T cell clones and uh, studied their function. And then 15 years ago, we started to look at the human double negative T cells. Yeah, it's a long-term study. And uh, our research always follows the results. So we trust our data, then we just uh, continue based on the data. So you started to say um, 25 years yeah. ago, you were working with transgenic mice. 25 years ago. Okay. Yeah. Just yeah. There, please. 25 years ago. Yeah. We studied the T cell response to alloantigen and using transgenic mice. And we see like other people seeing CD4, CD8 cells after seeing antigen, they proliferate, then they disappear. And the small percentage remaining, but we see a big percentage of uh, uh, double negative T cell remaining. And then that's how we started to characterize this population. Oh, how did you know that they had special abilities versus the other populations of T cells? Yeah, this we didn't know at the time, right? We didn't know what's this population. So we did an extensive study. That's why it took 25 years to get now, right? So we did the extensive characterization. We generated T cell clones uh, for double negative T cells. And uh, we look at their function. And then we, you know, we, we found that they are differ from conventional T cells. They have uh, from mouse model. They, the uniqueness for double negative T cells is they can um, have a broad, they can kill broad range of cancer cells because they're not the kill cancer cells through their T cell receptor. It's, uh, it's like uh, antibiotics. You can use one antibiotics to target the different uh, bacteria. Uh, so double negative T cells has a broad range uh, uh, anti-cancer ability. And the interesting part also is uh, they have also have uh, immune regulatory function, which is kind of uh, contradictory to each other on the surface. But we have uh, data demonstrated both human and mouse that uh, double negative T cells has this function. So they can suppress immune response like a GVHD. They can also have potent anti-cancer effect. And also, if I add to that, yeah, if I, if I add to that, yes. um, yeah. the initial reason why, at least for me, when I started working on this, that the evidence that I felt was more compelling was the correlation study that we saw in some of these leukemia patients. So we, we have noticed that some of the leukemia patients with higher number of double negative T cells infiltrating or per, 
circulating in their body tends to have a better outcome, let's say, lack, uh, lower incidence of GVHD, severity of GVHD, or lower rates of disease relapse. And that was another sign that kind of supported confidence that maybe these DNTs are doing something in these patients to prevent GVHD or prevent leukemia relapse. How many different uh, types of T-cells are identified? Are there new ones that are being identified or is it known what uh, all the kinds are? There are more and more always coming up, right? So there are CH4 positive cells, CD8 positive T cells, regulatory T cells, gamma delta T cells, and K T cells. And I, I think there are more coming up in the past few years. I think the area of T cell research is quite active, and more and more we dig in, we can further categorize T cells into different ones, including double negative T cells. What stage of the um the clinical trial are you in now? I guess there's three phases, and you know what? What are you working on literally right now? In phase one, we're still in phase one. We finished one phase one trial. We, there is one ongoing phase one trial. What is in phase one? Like, what does the cohort look like, and what's the goal of the phase one? Phase one study typically to confirm the safety, feasibility, and also the dose. Normally, you try to find a dose which will be suitable for phase two study. So we uh, did a dose escalation. We demonstrated the safety and we see promising efficacy. So we need to move on to do more patients. Do you think that um, there'll be just one treatment and that's it? Or will you have to do multiple ones over time? The first the phase one trial, we did the three doses. And the double negative TCR, the advantage of it is uh, you can give more doses. It's like off-the-shelf living drug. So... You can, you know, if needed, you can inject more. When will the phase two trial start and what will that look like? We are raising funding. To do clinical trials is very expensive, so we need money to do it. Are you going to go for NIH grants or do you have to get private funding? Uh, we, the study so far being supported by NIH, by Leukemia Lymphoma Foundation in U.S., by Canadian research institute like the CIHR and the Canadian Cancer Research Institute, uh, all those national, international funding agencies. But now for a larger scale study, we are looking for private investors, building up a platform not only for leukemia, but for other cancers because the nature of DNT cells can be used as off-the-shelf drug. Well, for solid tumors, though, I guess they would attack the periphery of the tumor, but how do you get into the tumor, if it's let's say it's a two centimeter ball, how do you get to the center of it and get rid of the whole thing? That's a good question. So our preclinical study using lung cancer model, we see double negative T cells can infiltrate into the solid tumor. You can detect them and they're, they're targeting, they make a tumor necrotic. And also other aspects of our study focuses on combining these immunotherapy, T-cell-mediated therapy or double-negative T-cell therapy with other forms of cancer therapy. So when there's a such a large tumor mass, yeah, as you say, it may be very difficult to infiltrate all the way in. Um, but if we combine it with chemotherapy or surgical removal or other forms of anti-cancer therapy to reduce the tumor mass and use these immunotherapy to precisely target any residual cancer cells, then we, we think that that might also have a good up, clinical outcome. So I think that's something that we are actively investigating. That's right. Yeah. So, so the uh, we're not going to use the DNT cell alone for a large solid tumor. Uh, we, you know, 
tumor, you can cut it off, but the, the problem is the relapse, right? The residual cancer cells are coming back. And when they're coming back, they become resistant to chemotherapy, then, you know, become hard. That's the cause of death of patients. So double negative T cells, because it's immune cells, they can selectively recognize the cancer cell. So the, the idea is, you know, like uh, JB said, you know, combining with other conventional therapy to mostly targeting uh, residual tumor cells and then, you know, find them and eliminate them. So then the cancer will not relapse. That can save lives. That's the purpose. Well, you know what you could do is cancer mm-hmm. patients that are going to have a resection anyway, mm-hmm. maybe you can do it where you give them for one week, you know, this double negative T cell infusion, do the mm-hmm. resection, then talk to the pathologist or the histologist and look at the tissue and the tumor and see if it infiltrated what it did in that week's time. You know, if you did a study where you gave the therapy a day before, a week before, a month before the resection, you can compare the effects. I mean, I, I agree with what you said. I think that would be a very interesting study. And, and if it's possible, we, we definitely are you know, keen on doing these kinds of studies. Giving these cell, cell therapies into patients comes with a lot of regulatory and QCs that we need to do. Now that we just finished the phase one trial in leukemia patients, demonstrating the, demonstrating the safety of it, I think it is a step forward to those kind of clinically more relevant questions, uh, uh, experiments that we can do. But yes, uh, doing experiments without the certainty of the safety inpatient would be, it is a quite difficult task, but I think we, we are getting there. I think we are getting there. Are you going to be authorized if this works just for leukemia, or do you have to do a whole nother set of uh, clinical trials for solid tumors? Yeah, you need to, to get a regular approval for each different disease. How expensive do you anticipate it will be to culture these cells? Like I heard CAR-T is incredibly expensive and it has to be tailored to the individual. But since I, I guess you could have master donors of these cell types and have them in a pool, continually culture them. So this could be scaled up commercially pretty easily, right? Yeah, you got it. Yes, we anticipate it will be much cheaper than CAR-T. Um, because there is no genetic modification. Of course, we can do genetic modification, but for non-genetically modified DNT cells, uh, the cost will be much cheaper because there is no specific, uh, you know, reagents or facilities required, and they expand well. They kill cancer well. So we anticipate much cheaper than CAR-T. Yeah, I think exactly what Lee said. I know there is a big interest in personalized medicine. And I think there is a huge, huge advantage to it. But when we really think about in, in for patients and in clinical setting, treating large number of patients, if it needs to be personalized for every individual patient, that also itself creates some degree of limitations that, that needs to be overcome. And I think financial burden is a big limitation for current form of CAR T-cell therapy, where T-cells are obtained from the patient, you know, expand it and give it back, give them back to the patient. And I think the advantage of double negative T cell is that it does not have to be heavily personalized. We can have a master bank of cells that's been expanded, waiting for patients to come when patients are in for these kind of ter- therapy. We can give it right away. This can scale up to reduce the treatment cost, increases the treatment accessibility for patients. Of the donors, who is better and why? Or does it matter who the donor is? So from what we have tested, there are donors that 
tends to give a better expansion and poorer expansion. And one of the correlative findings that we saw is that do they have larger or larger, higher frequency or higher number of double negative T cell in the periphery to begin with? Uh, but once they're expanded, they do behave quite similarly uh, between different donors. So we see a dif- difference in the number of DNTs we can get per donor, but uh, from, from each donor, but uh, their activity level is quite comparable after expansion. Can you continually culture or do they have a shelf life of you know a certain number of days or a certain number of divisions until you have to get new ones? Mm-hmm. So we tech, um, typically culture them between 10 to 20 days. Um, we do not want to culture them much longer than that because longer culturing, it causes something called T-cell exhaustion. And once they are too exhausted, then they have a shorter persistence in patients. So what we ultimately want to achieve is to culture them long enough so that we you know, induce the right function and right phenotype and right biology on these cells and give it to the patient and let, let these cells proliferate and persist in patients. But we can cryopreserve them and we have tested that they can be cryopreserved up to 600, 600 days without losing their viability or without losing their function. So we can generate, expand these cells to a certain number of days and store them for a longer period of time. Yeah, this is really cool. So are you seeing that interest and excitement is building or is it, or are they waiting on like phase two results? Lee, you want to answer that? Uh, yeah, we are in the process of uh, raising funds and uh, we definitely, it's very exciting. It's something very, uh, you know, new, at least to our knowledge, you know, you can have uh, off the shelf living cells, which do not cause GVHD without genetic modification. This is a beauty of the double negative T cells and then also have very potent anti-cancer effect. We need to do phase phase two trial for sure. You know, like you said, you, if you want to, at the end, use it for treatment, you need to go through phase one, phase two, phase three trials. So I think it's quite exciting and we are very confident we, we can get there you know, to save some lives. Yeah, well, yeah definitely. What, what are some tweaks that you see after the phase one results that you need to make, or is it just everything looks good, go to phase two? I think so far the data we've seen, it looks quite promising. It looks good. Um, one thing that we need to work on, and I think it's obvious limitation of phase one trial is the number of patients that we treated. We did not see much toxicity. We did not see much of a dose limiting toxicity. We are able to manufacture all the treatments that we plan to give. And we see some promising efficacy but it is hard to conclude that because the number of patients are so limited and also there is some degree of heterogeneity in the patient types that we have treated so far. So for us to confidently say that, hey, these DNTs are safe, feasible, and also very effective in these leukemia patients, we just need to increase the number of patients and maybe also reduce the heterogeneity of the patients that we treat so that we can have more of a fair comparison in DNT cell-treated patient versus non-treated population. Well, when you say there's heterogeneity in the, in the cohort, what does that mean or in people? So, so for, for leukemia patients, especially the type of leukemia that we are working with, acute myeloid leukemia, there are many different subsets, and also these patients have different state. They are at different stages. For example, even within exact same type of leukemia, they can have different leukemia burden. They have different age. They have different sex. Um, these kind of things all contribute 
to the heterogeneity of the patient population that we treat. So we may want to minimize that to say, let's say we want to treat patients with certain level of disease burden at the time of DNT treatment. And those kinds of things I think can help us to better analyze and understand how effective these DNT cells are. Yeah. Um, the are you giving this um, pre-resection pre or post-resection or pre-chemo, post-chemo? Are you trying any of those variations? So, so the patient population we uh, treated is the most difficult one because they failed all the previous treatment. They all had the allo stem cell transplant and then relapsed. And then they also get other line of treatment. So those are the patients uh, with very, very poor prognosis. So, but uh, within this group of patients, um, I mean, the major thing is uh, like what the JB said, you know, the number of patients we treated uh, is small. We need to increase the number. And also the uh, patient received the different treatment before double negative T cells. So that could also affect, you know, to draw a solid conclusion we need to do more study in more patients. Yeah, I, I think the difficulties that we, we see is that, and, and I think rightfully so, is that when we treat patients, for, for scientists to really ans- get a clear answer on some things, we want consistency. Maybe it's best to best that these patients don't get any treatment other than DNTs, and that might be a very clear answer. However, when we think about the patients, and when we think about more clinically, these patients want to receive any form of therapy that can save their lives. So these patients get DNT cell therapy, and when clinicians find it necessary, they can receive other maintenance therapy that's given after DNTs, and it really depends on how these patients respond to therapy, how their disease progresses. So that you know, provides some degree of difficulties for a scientist to draw a conclusive answer on clinical response. But I think it, it is inevitable that we, we want to do anything and everything possible to keep these patients alive. Is there any um, exhaustion or uh, petering out of the results that happens? Like, uh, you know, after a treatment, do you know if there's a, like a window in which it's effective and it stops being effective? So from what we have done, what we know so far, when we treated the patient, about more, slightly more than half of the patients achieved uh, complete remission, and we have followed them for uh, around 500 days, up, up to 500 days. And we saw that not all the patients that initially achieved complete remission re- remained in complete remission, but ma- majority of them still remain in complete remission. So we think that there is some degree of durability in response, at least to the follow-up that we have done so far. But again, as I mentioned, there were one or two patients that relapsed after DNT cell therapy. So that is another question that we are eager to find out, how long this treatment effect lasts. And if if there are short-lived in some of these patients, how can we improve that? How can we improve the treatment durability and, and efficacy? Okay. Did you... Going back to the, the action of the double negative T cells, is there a particular ligand or receptor that you've identified that is common to leukemias? Or is the T cell able to adapt to, you know, leukemia cells or cancer cells that have different, you know, cell membrane presentations of receptors or ligands or things? So what we have identified so far were NKG to DND number one that I've mentioned that's found on DNTs and their ligands, corresponding ligands are found on m- many of uh, leukemia cells. But what we also know is that when these DNTs 
target leukemia versus solid tumors like lung cancers, they employ different mechanisms. And also another thing is that when we block NKG2D or DNAM1, the receptors that we have identified so far, it does reduce their capacity, capacity to kill cancer cells, but it does not completely block it. So we think that there are more to it, and that's why we are um, actively trying to understand uh, what it is that these DNTs uh, utilize to can- uh, target cancer cells beyond um, NKG2D and DNAM1. So do you know specifically what the, um, the T cells are attaching to or it changes? And it's, so, it's so, so, these, so these molecules can be like ligands called ULPPs, 1 to 6, um, CD112 and CD155. So these are some of the ligands that are found on cancer cells that we have ident- identified so far. But what I, yeah, I guess what, what we don't know is that if, what are the other molecules that DNTs recognize and bind to. Oh, but even amongst these ligands, how many different kinds are there? Like a dozen or more? Or... So for NKG2D, there are... I, from, from what I know, identified ones are around seven to eight with pos- potential to have more ligands that, get are, that are bound by NKG2D. For DNAM1, the two main ligands that are on cancer cell is there are two. Okay. I just, you know, I, I didn't know if there's just one target or if there's... Yeah, like, it, it's multiple. Yeah, it's dozens of targets. Yes. How do you think the, uh, the, the double negative T cell makes that determination though on, I mean, how many potential targets do you think it has in its library or its memory or its, you know, within its ability to affect? So, so far for at least in in terms of AML, we have tested multiple um, AML cells that were obtained from about 50 patients. And from out of that, about 80% of the patient samples were effectively killed by DNT cells. Although even, even within the patient samples that are effectively killed, there are quite a bit of a range. So, what we are trying to do is to adopt a CRISPR technology to knock out different genes on cancer cells and knock out different genes on DNT cells to identify what are the genes that are involved in this interaction between DNT cells and cancer cells. Okay, very good. What's going to happen in the next year or so? You're in fundraising mode. Is there any near-term actions that are coming? Like, How, how long do you think it'll be before you get into a phase two trial for this? Yeah, so we are depends on how much funding we can get, right? So we have plans, you know, we want to do more clinical trials on AML, uh, maybe phase two. And we also want to extend uh, to other clinical trials uh, because our preclinical study uh, provide very strong data. DNT cells can be used beyond treating AML, including solid tumor like cancer, uh, lung cancer, and also graft versus host disease. Yeah, so it depends on, you know, um, how much funding we can get, then we can prioritize our plan. Okay. Yeah, and what's the best way for people, listeners, to find out more about your work? Where can they go? Yeah, and we, we, are, we are actively, you know, publishing data on our, our findings, right? So if you search double negative T cells on Google, you'll be able to find a bunch of publications that we have made. We published a couple of papers within last two, three months on on blood journal on how DNTs target cancer cells, how it can be combined with other forms of um, anti-cancer therapies to you know, better target them. So, And there are multiple manuscripts that, that are being under review by, by other journals to you know, keep public and other, other scientists up to date on our technology and our therapies that can benefit lives of patients. Yeah. Okay. Well, very good. Lee and John, thank you so much for coming. And it sounds very promising. 
And I hope that uh, you're able to attract a lot of funding to get these, these clinical trials done and this in use. And thank you for having thank us. You. Thank you. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.